South African Breweries was one of the companies that took early advantage of the changes fueled by the end of apartheid. Starting in 1993, SAB aggressively expanded outside its home country, and they invested in Eastern Europe, in Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. Management control was gained of breweries in Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho, Zambia, Tanzania, Mozambique, Ghana, Kenya, Ethiopia, Zimbabwe and Uganda during this period. All these brewers had one thing in common, they needed promotional and marketing material. And there to take advantage of this opportunity was our guest, Matthew Fitzsimons, who together with his brother founded Big Eye Branding to supply world-class branding material to this underserved market. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Drinks World. Matthew Fitzsimons, welcome to the show. Thanks, Hogan. Matthew, before we start talking about the business, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up and where you studied. Thanks for having me, Hogan. Yes, um, so I grew up in, uh, born and bred in Zululand, um, went to school in the Midlands, I went to Marisburg Varsity, and then uh, headed overseas where I um, studied in Scotland and then uh, lived in a number of countries overseas and worked overseas but there was always this yearning to come back to Africa and uh, yeah just work back in Africa I'd lived for a while in Zambia as a and worked as a fishing guide but that wasn't enough I needed to come back and really get my teeth stuck into living and working in Africa so probably at the age of like 25 or so I came back from overseas to live back here and went back and uh, started my career in Joburg and then yeah probably 18 years ago ended up back down in Durban with my brother and started this company called Big Eye Branding that essentially supplied trade marketing material to breweries and beverage companies across Africa so how did you come up with this idea? You mentioned that your brother took his motorbike and uh, rode to London. Yeah, so we always loved Africa. We always thought it was this most amazing place to have adventures and fun and 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 possibly to create work opportunities later on in our lives. Um, and after university, my brother, you know, I remember him saying to my mom that he was going to ride a motorbike to London and she said but you, you, you've never ridden a motorbike and he said no I have on my friend's farm once in Coxstad <laughs> and uh, so that was always the adventurous spirit that we had I worked in London for a while and then with two mates we in, ended up hitching back down through Africa mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think both of us during those adventures just loved what ha- Africa had to offer and um, we also had quite a lot of engagement with the beer companies um, up there, not just from drinking their product, but also from staying with a lot of the South Africans that ran the beverage companies and the so the breweries and the, the Coke bottlers up in Africa. And um, we met a lot of those guys during our trip. And uh, it so happened that, in, you know, later on when we started our business, the Coca-Cola and the the beverage or the brewery companies became our pretty much our biggest customers mm. in Africa. I've I've had quite a few guests on here who've who've done exactly that, either hitchhiked or cycled or or driven 
through Africa. And I think, I mean, even for myself, it was always a big, big dream. Um, as a student at Marisburg Varsity, we obviously had a lot of guys from Zim and Zambia at Varsity and, and then raised with us. So it was always a, a, a lacquer thing to do in the winter holidays, to go to Zim, go to Kariva and experience a little bit of Africa. Did you have the same same opportunities? Yeah, certainly. Um, there were a lot of guys that we met um, yeah, through university up there. But I think, I mean, just over time, there's just, there's been so many amazing people that, you know, not just expats, but um, local Africans that have lived up there and welcomed us mm. into their amazing countries. I mean, um, you know, I, I remember when we had the xenophobic uh, attacks in South Africa, you know, I was the first guy to lead our office down into town and, and go and march against uh, the xenophobia because, you know, I was pretty appalled with how um, Africans from, from north of South Africa had been treated in South Africa and we had only had the most amazing welcome in all those countries and I just thought that uh, we needed to take a, a stand and really, um, yeah, just um, as a company you know, support all the the Africans that uh, were working and had been badly treated in South Africa. If we think of, of, I mean, you've got a beautiful map of Africa there. One of the things that early on I liked and um, was to look at all the different beers from Africa. And I mean, obviously because of sanctions, they, those beers weren't represented in South Africa. And I think by the time that sanctions ended, um, one or two or three breweries owned all the brands in Africa. It was like another colonization. Somebody went in and they divided the continent up and said, you take that, I take that. Um, what, what, what period or when did that all happen? Were you part of that? Yeah, so we certainly were. I mean, I remember uh, during my MBA when I studied in Scotland, one of my projects was looking at uh, SAB and how they used their skills of servicing a developing market. So their skills of servicing Africa, how they used that um, to take over some of the other developing markets around the world. Um, so, um, yeah, when we opened our business, I mean, SAB were in full swing in um in Africa, but obviously there was a, a certain countries that they weren't represented in that they were trying to move in. But there was definitely this massive drive to to dominate Africa, mm. and there was this this almost like beer grab, not a land grab, a beer grab for you know trying to get market share as much as as they could um, in competition with the the, the Heineken's, um, Diageo to a certain degree. And then, um, then obviously um, they had an agreement with with Castel Lager. So um, uh, you know the, the guys at SAB would know better than me. But along the lines that they 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 didn't enter into each other's markets. So mm -hmm. it essentially was a mainly Heineken SAB war in Africa. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, so. How did your business start? Yeah, so we, um, I had been doing some work with Coca-Cola in, in uh, Angola and a number of countries where we were supplying uh, trolleys into Africa, so Coke trolleys, vending trolleys. I mean, essentially, 
that was the way that people bought coke in africa was from street vendors because there 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 wasn't weren't many established um you know supermarkets and um sort of modern trade outlets so most of the bulk volume of beverage was sold through informal market vending and and through you know street selling so i was quite involved with with coke um on their projects in africa and then um yeah just through that met a lot of people and then uh, had an opportunity um to look at um you know with with a friend of ours uh who was uh, manufacturing um you know a lot of textile products gazebos banners and that type of thing to take those products into africa and uh, and look at you know who else could um require these products and it essentially was the it was the introduction of digital printed um textiles in africa so we no longer was the, were, were were um gazebos and banners screen printed it was the introduction of photo image quality um printed um you know, i think it's called dye sublimation um products into africa and so we were the sort of the first guys to take those products into africa and show them to all the beverage companies and breweries um in africa and we essentially yeah we got our first order uh in uganda um and then yeah through that obviously the big blue chips were you know networked across africa and we got introduced to from one country to the next to the to the next country and i think um as of as of date i think we've exported to some 47 countries in africa so Mm. mainly the big breweries beverage companies big cell phone companies fmcgs um the you know the nestle's um so the big blue chips in africa is essentially who who buy our products and um yeah from just doing um textile based products so you know gazebos banners eventing equipment we developed you know a number of other items that our customers require so we do you know a massive amount of clothing branded clothing promotional products um and uh, we've got a glassware range um we do a lot of bar collateral ice buckets um bar counter mats trays all that type of thing so essentially anything that is required um for activations promotions events um you know anything to our rule of thumb is anything that requires a brand on it essentially Mm. um and that's where we you know i always say if it hasn't got a brand on then it's more of a commodity item i'd rather Mm. stay away from that so any branded item into africa we'll we'll take a stab at so okay and were you one of those guys at Varsity that was uh, screen printing T-shirts and selling to the different drinking clubs? The funny, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I think the first first opportunity that uh, of our first you know, income earning opportunity, my brother and I uh, did the the order for Wob <laughs> William <laughs> O'Brien residence, where we went to trendy T-shirts yeah. um, and we said, "Listen, we think we can get this order." Uh, if we get the order from you, like, what will you get? And they said, no, well, you can have 10%. And then we went back to Wob, we negotiated, got the artwork, sent it back to Trendy T-shirts and uh, got our first order. And I think we did a couple after that. But that was that essentially was our first um, first job ever was um, at Marisburg Varsity first year. And we we're quite proud of that. 
The other day I was in Belita and I saw a t-shirt, a guy walking with a t-shirt and on his back, on the back of his t-shirt was Jabir's bottle store. Does that ring a bell to you? Yes, no, it does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he was the first guy to sort of uh, give credit to drinking clubs in Maritzburg Varsity and <laughs> and maybe in a way it was similar to what we did. We were sort of the first guys to give credit into Africa to a lot of these big breweries. You know, a lot of guys you know, especially, you know, European um, suppliers, Chinese suppliers, essentially wanted, you know, the breweries to, to um, you know, to, was this, you know, they, they wanted the breweries to, to pay a deposit. And, um, um, you know, often they, they, they didn't really want to do that. They had the buying, spending power not to. And so essentially what we did is we, um, we decided that, we would take whatever orders we could get and we and we phoned around we asked you know could would anyone insure our our debt and uh, the guys from credit guarantee and a few other companies said yes no we'll insure that one but not that one and not that one and we're like well those the the ones that we wanted cover on is you know you know you've just taken out and um so what we decided pretty much like 18 years ago when we started the business was that we were going to self-insure ourselves. So whatever we would pay the credit guarantees, we put into a fund and we built that fund up so that, you know, knowing that we would give credit into Africa to the blue chips because a PO from a big blue chip is worth a lot. Um, and if it did go south, that we had a fund that we personally, um, you know, could essentially cover ourselves and, and get ourselves through till the next, you know, next order. So that's, Probably like Mr. Jobert, uh, we were the same. Like we 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 we, uh, we protected ourselves, but um, but we gave credit into Africa. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the early days and the the spirit of of traveling and meeting these guys, especially SAB. I mean, for us, for me as a, as selling the opposition, obviously SAB was you know the enemy. But I was also, as a South African, I was very proud of of the company and what they were doing in Africa and across the world. And the more I speak to guys, and, I, and I've been doing a lot of uh, podcasts with brewers in Sri Lanka or you know all over the world, and these are all ex-SAB guys, and I can feel there's a spirit of or a kindred spirit amongst these guys. Did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, it was just the most incredible company to service or be, you know, to be part of. We were, we certainly felt like we were part of their growth and we were, you know, and, you know, as a partner that we were part of the family. Um, but it was just the most phenomenal spirit up there. We were welcomed into, you know, all the guys that ran bottlers all over Africa. We were welcomed into their houses, stayed with them, knew their wives' names, kids' names, um, had many beers with with most of them. And uh, yeah, it was just the most phenomenal company. And I think that if you just speak to those guys now and you see, um, yeah, I mean, they spread around the world, but they've just got this amazing connection um, and you can just see it. And I just think that, um, yeah, you probably find that AB and InBev, you know, probably didn't realize the power of that that um, connected family spirit that mm. that was, you know, existed in, in, SAB, in the SAB days. Mm. And yeah, phenomenal people that and phenomenal talent and leaders that they had there that um, that you know created the most fantastic success story for a South African company. I mean, it really was 
the most awesome story. And that's why, you know, during my MBA, I loved, I loved using that case study. Um, it was just, it was such a great story to share. Yeah. And, and I kind of regret that I was not part of that, rather part of a smaller one, smaller bunch of brewers, and I didn't experience that, that community. Which I guess the there is a similar community within the craft fraternity, but this is just so much more, so much bigger and so much more relevant on an economic scale. I, I guess. Yeah, certainly, and that's definitely the case. Huh? Yeah. So, for I think the brewing community and the beer community is is something special, and wherever I go, I can just go to the closest brewery and start talking to somebody and. They can pick up that I talk this talk the same language as they do, and they immediately, whether it's in Germany or anywhere else where I travel, you know, the, the, these are um, you're part of the same community, and yep. and uh, they they accept you as one of the one of their own. Is it the same when you're selling? Uh, point of sale or, or marketing stuff to them? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, certainly there's the language, eh? Yeah, they all talk about heckies. Uh, it's just the big drive of hectoliters that they're all driving towards, driving volume. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think what we did do was we, you know, a lot of the products that we developed, we developed for them, um, you know, we, I describe ourselves as like a manufacturing agency. So not a creative agency, but a manufacturing. Mm. So we would come up with the ideas with them and then we would go away and make them. So whether it was activation equipment, you know, gaming equipment for the breweries, create fun um, games in Niger- for Nigerian consumers to, you know, possibly have, get a bottle top and then put into a game so that they'd want to buy that, you know, that, that, that beer to just get the bottle cop, the, the bottle cap just to play the game, you know all those type of things. And I think what we did were, was, you know, it was, certainly wasn't our our ideas. It, um, you know, we did come up with some, but it was working with them together and building ideas that that essentially got rolled out into many countries and worked in many countries across, across Africa. So we did feel like we were part of it. Um, you know, I think we we started working with uh, with SAB in Nigeria when they were three percent market share. I think they. You know, when probably up to like probably 30, 40% now, I don't know what the latest is. Um, but yeah, we felt like we were certainly on that growth journey with them. And um, yeah, it was a, an amazing, amazing time. Mm. Um, now that the lights have come back on, I can see even more of your your office and, and the vibe that goes on here in your, uh, I guess it's a creative studio or a creative business. I mean, that's what you are, really. You've got to be creative. Tell us a little bit about the vibe that uh, that you've been able to create or that you've tried to create here. Yeah, I mean, essentially, we've we've tried to create the the you know the best office to work on work in in Durban. I mean, that's essentially what um, what we've tried to do. I've done. A, I've read a lot of books on you know company culture and you know based a lot on the American company culture and. We started implementing things that, you know, that probably were sort of, you know, um, cutting edge or leaders in the field in terms of making the best office to work in. Um, and, you know, with the understanding that, you know, you spend so much time at work, why not just make it the most awesome place? Um, 
and you would attract talent like you know essentially what i do often when people come in for an interview i I bring them in and they sit in the foyer and then i just leave them there for 10 minutes um just to feel the vibe just to feel the energy and it and it's so irregular that someone comes in for an interview you know the 99 of the time they sit down and they go this is the most awesome place to work it just feels like it and i was and i was like "Mm, okay thanks why do you say that and 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 it's a strategy essentially what you know, as much as I like working in a nice office, it's also a strategy to to, to attract the best talent mm. um, in Durban. Because essentially, what we want to do is is we want to um, have the best you know sales force um, you know that that we can have that are you know that that are going into Africa and engaging with you know blue chips and and you know hopefully bringing us orders back that we we can supply from from south africa um up into africa so we want you know we want the best staff um obviously um it's been tough over the last two or three years with covid and the fact that there haven't been a lot of events in africa but i, I feel like we've come out of it stronger and better i feel like we're like a, a trans guard dog now you know what i mean and uh, <laughs> we lean and mean and we are a bit hungry and the and the kitchen door of the cobbin hotel has been left open and uh and there's a leg of lamb on the ki- kitchen counter. And now, now we're going to go and have a little, little, little feed, um, because uh, you know it's been it's been a rough, rough two, two years or so. But um, you know, I think the industry's bounced back. Um, you know, a lot of the beverage and breweries have had phenomenal results in Africa, and they, you know, they see that this continent is where they want to be. Like, and that's what exciting f- is exciting for me. Is, is like I believe that we couldn't be better in a better place like um we've got we've got a china above us we've got a billion people on our doorstep and south africa can can has an opportunity of servicing that better than anyone else mm. i mean as long as we can keep the power on and the factories rolling which is critical you know you know the chinese are you know they they don't um you know service you know travel into africa we don't see them the suppliers traveling and meeting customers and being able to connect with them you know the europeans are a little bit more nervous um but more expensive and we fit like really well in between that like we are africans we understand africa we like the adventure of travel and um you know we we engage well with expats we engage well with locals um and um yeah i think we are certainly very well positioned to you know to you know service this market which is a massive growing market compared to what's happening in europe and the rest of the world where you know populations are dropping off and Mm. africa is not it's uh, it's on a trajectory second to none and it's going to be where all the young people are going to be are going to be north of our borders so they're going to need to eat and drink and um those companies that supply the food and the drinks need to market themselves and we we you know essentially we'd like to be you know supplier of choice to many of them so so that's pretty much the vision that we have um we've recently done a merger with uh, a company from east africa and we've put our company together um and his company together and we now have um a business um you know under a holding company called the inspire group which is um Ten offices in Africa, um, fifty staff, you know, from multiple, you know, different um, 
nationalities. Mm. I mean, essentially, it's the diversity which is really so exciting to me as everyone working together from different areas. And uh, yeah, a strong, imp you know, import um, operation out of China, which our partner brings. We strong exporting out of South Africa, and then then ten local offices in Africa. So, you know, our thinking is is that we should be able to service any big, big blue chip in Africa if they want South African sourced marketing material, Chinese sourced, or buy from our local offices and pay in local currency. So. That's the, the thought. Um, yeah, hopefully um, we can sort of lead our industry and 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 what we, yeah, and where we're operating. And is the are the central shows where everybody, all the marketing people get together, or is that a European thing? Um, not really. I think it's more European. Mm. We find our success comes from. Traveling into knocking, Africa, knocking yes. on doors. Um, obviously, there's a big drive towards centralized procurement, um, mm. so that the guys who don't travel into Africa still have a shot at it. And we've always found that our differentiation is to go in and understand the different markets. I mean, if you look at Africa, the difference between Africa and Europe and and America is that it's 54 different countries. Like every single country is different. There's a different. Um, you know, document you fill out for your COVID, for your, it's a different um, duties for an ice bucket in Nigeria, Gabon, Cape Verde, Djibouti. Uh, there's different, you know, inspection requirements. Every single country is different. You know, America is one big, you know, zone. You probably find a few export um, or you import ice buckets from China into America. It's just going to be, you know, the same duties across America and the same into into the EU. But that's what makes Africa so different is that it's it's so challenging. Every single market is different. And I think that that's the skill that we've learned over the years is that, um, you know, we've learned how to operate in this really challenging market and, and, and what works for each different country. So, so that's um, certainly where I, I would say we are different. Mm. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit of, of your... Your personal experiences of traveling what some of the highlights yeah just keeping um fun and, and adventure at the heart of it i mean there's you know you know just the last trip i did two months ago to east africa um you know just going to meetings on the back of a border border which is a you know local motorbike um you know just making it fun you know Rather than going in a taxi, jump on a little motorbike, rush through the traffic. Uh, you arrive at the meeting, your hair sticking up, but you are alive, yeah. um, uh, more alive than you know. There's just, I mean, it just oozes out of you when you're in that meeting because of what you've been through. Um, yeah, um, just you know, then that was just one thing. Then it, yeah, we had a retreat uh, recently, uh, a strategy retreat uh, at the source of the Nile, Ginger, Uganda. Um, you know, we're rafting down the river, uh, the Nile River, which, I mean, I, I had done 25 years before. Uh, it was very sad to see how there's no forest left there um, yeah. and the change. But, yeah, we always keep it, you know, you know, we, we always try and make it exciting and different. And, um, and I, I challenge all my sales team to do this, you know, just where they stay, you know, don't book into the protea, you know, go and find an exciting place to, mm. to, to stay. Um, you know, 
go out with the guys, go to the events, go and understand what, what, where the guys are trying to promote their products. And the big thing also is, is trade visits, you know, walk the markets with the guys. I was in Angola uh, the week before last, you know, I spent a full day in the markets, you know, walking through the open markets, um, essentially, you know, stepping over puddles, um, past cars' heads and all that. But looking at, you know, how, how do they sell Coke in those markets? You know, how do they sell... Um, you know, you know, um, beer in that market and really understanding that because if you can sit with your customer the next day and say, well, I saw this is how they were selling your products in the modern trade or in the informal markets or in the cantinas, which is like the spaza shops, you know, how can you position your product that you're trying to sell if mm. you don't understand that? So, that's you know the challenge that I set for my sales team um, is to you know really go and understand your markets and that's going to make us different from the guy that sits you know back at his office and just you know takes a shot at at the order um, you know you know sometimes he does win it through centralized buying because he's the cheapest but you know let's let's try to, you know continue to differentiate ourselves with through relationships and understanding of of the local market so that's what we've we've tried to do and which i think we'll we'll continue to do mm. tell me the the story of um your cycling trip through ghana a couple of years ago um some of our mates went up with you and you organized the trip what was that about yeah so so we had this mate um uh Ronnie, fat kid on a bike. I think a few people might have heard about him, but I mean, I remember Ron once coming to us and he said to my, my brother and I, he said, you know, I'm thinking of walking up the Nile. And we're like, what? And he said, no, no, seriously, I'm going to walk. Do you know anyone in Sudan? And we said, yeah, we know some guys in Sudan. He's like, I'm going to walk up the Nile. And then a few weeks later, he came back and he said, no, I've got a new idea. And we're like, what is it? He says, no, I'm going to ride a bicycle through every country in Africa. And we're like, what? Every country, like, and we're like, okay, cool. We, you know, we've got, you know, it's going to be pretty tough, but we've got contacts for you. And then I remember he showed us the map and the way he had worked it out. It actually, it actually looked achievable. I was like, suddenly thought, you know, you can do that. And uh, and the old fat kid Ronnie, he was a mate from Vasti, he headed off. Um, and um, yeah, he went on this most amazing adventure through Africa. And um, we said, you know, we, you know, we we were his first sponsor. I think we gave him like twenty five k and. Uh, I can't remember I think it was that his first sponsor and we said no we believe in you you know go for it and then we said but we also want to come ride with you and I remember trying to look at you know where would be quite an easy easy place to organize for a group of mates decided Ghana was the timing was going to be quite good you know we were dealing with Accra breweries there um, Michal Ulumans was a South African guy there and um, we um arranged to get bikes through um mass stores macro mm. i think uh, um and uh through a contact that we had and he he i think we paid them in south africa and then they sorted us out with 12 mountain bikes outside i mean they were pretty basic mountain bikes but we all hopped on these things and we rode from Accra right up to um ivory coast um so up that west coast past um you know, just the most amazing um, coastland where all the, you know, the s slave outposts are. With with Ronnie, our mate from Vasti, who was riding all the way to to the World Cup in in London, and uh, we just had a hell of a time. And the breweries, um, 
you know, serviced us incredibly well with beer and with uh, <laughs> with water. They just pulled up, you know, alongside us, and um, you know, there wasn't something that uh, Marisburg Varsity guys would turn down, and uh, <laughs> we just had the most phenomenal trip. And we got to the end, and we donated our bikes to like an orphanage or two yeah. kids, and and uh, you know, that's to me, that's you know, those are the type of trips that I enjoy. You know, yeah. rather than going to a, a resort in uh, in Spain. Uh, with you know, with everyone else and lying on a lounger, I like those active, exciting holidays and adventures like that, and that's just always been in, yeah. in our blood. And Ronnie's been cycling to all the World Cups ever since, hasn't he? Yeah, so he's uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he's got a. I don't think that he'll ever have scratched that itch. Uh, it's certainly in him, and he's onto his third trip now. And I don't know whether you're following his podcast and stuff, but it's just the most awesome story. Um, and I mean, I, I often send him a message just saying, dude, you know, it's, I was driving and dropping my kid off at school today and I promise you inspire me every time I listen to you. And it's the most phenomenal story, this guy, you know, you forget how tough it is, but it really is the most phenomenal story. I think his, his podcast is, is, um, a race to rugby world cup. Okay, um, we'll put a link you, in there. Yeah. It's, it's a phenomenal story about these guys. You know, I think it's his third trip. He rode from from Twickenham. He rode t- through all the countries in Africa to to Twickenham. Then the next World Cup, he left Twickenham and rode to Japan. Yeah. And then now he's riding from Japan all the way down. He's stopping off at the um, Rugby World Cup Women's Tournament in October in New Zealand, and then he heads down to South America, rides all the way through South North America, then all the way up um, across and down through you know, Northern Europe um, back down to France for the next World Cup. I mean, it's certainly... Fantastic. Uh, yeah, a long way to go to get free tickets. So. <laughs> yeah. How has it changed over the last 18 or so years? What's been the biggest change? When you say uh, the business. Yeah, the business, yeah. Um, I mean, if you say the first big big thing was from... From screen printing to digital printing, I mean, I can still remember the sign writers doing it by hand. Yes, and there's still a lot of that that happens. Mm. Um, I would say that, yeah, just COVID with uh, you know no, no events mm. and events drive a lot of volume and a lot, a lot of events. You know, if you think of when we were at Varsity, there weren't many mountain bike races or swimming races with with branding. You know, you might go to one and there might be one banner. Now you go there. As you get off the line, someone gives you sun cream, uh, quelle bottle, a uh, cap with a name, branded name on, and you know brands have to be there where mm. their, their consumers are having fun. They can't just expect the consumer to go and find their brand on the shelf. They have to be there when their consumer needs them. So yeah, so I think that that's a big thing is, is the takeoff of the brands again uh, or the events again in Africa. I'd say centralized buying has been a sort of probably a challenge for us, mm. but um, you know, as, as much as it's a challenge, it's it's also um, uh, you know created opportunities. I think centralized buying always comes in cycles. You know, someone comes and says, "This is the rule: you will only buy out of Mauritius, out of this office." And then six months later, um, I mean, I had this when I was in Angola last week. Where guys say, you know, I I've had to wait for my stuff for a year, going through the centralized buying office, and you guys deliver to me in, you know, in four weeks. Mm. 
and I and I probably could get it cheaper from you if directly because and I know you, I can trust you and I know you're going to deliver on time. Um, so as much as that's been the change, it's also created opportunities. And I think it's just being patient with those cycles to know that um, we can respond to centralized buying also, but are relevant and you um, can add value, um, then you're not going to go away. So mm. um, it's just holding your line. And I think yeah. that that's what we've we've done um, pretty well. I mean, a lot of companies have gone out of business over COVID, but um, we're still here and... Uh, um, yeah, I think we've got an exciting future. So looking forward to that. Yeah. And I must, I must add that every time when I come into your office, I just want to stay here and work here. So it, you certainly have created a vibe that, that uh, visitors can pick up as you walk into the door. So well done. Yeah, well, thanks. That's, <laughs> that's obviously the, the strategy is working. Eh? Um, but uh Oh, well, we also like having this environment. It's 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 um it's important for us. We all uh, one of the things that we do is we all eat together every week, and I think it's just awesome. You know, s someone's in charge of bringing a meal or making a meal, and I think that uh, you know you eat together. You there's something about eating together, staying together. You know, and uh, it's a critical part. It's something that I drive <clears throat> from a culture perspective as like we're not going to miss one of these meals you know mm. this is such a small thing but it's such a big thing and it's it's you know part of my my job is to drive culture as a ceo of big R branding and uh and i'm relentless with it i mean but I, I don't give up on it and i don't slack on it because if you don't if you don't create culture it will create it will create itself. Mm. So if you don't drive the culture that you want in your office, there will be a culture, what, whatever the case is, and it may not be what you want. Um, and I don't want that. I want, I want to be, you know, to control the, the culture that we have in this organization. Um, and that when people come here and they don't fit in with the culture, then this is not the place for them. Mm. And then you're essentially attracting the right people. And that gives you, you know, continuity um, going forward. And it creates an entity that is what you can be proud of and that um, that you want to work for so and that's and that is obviously even stronger than and bigger than one person including myself so that will continue on forever so yeah okay is there anything we've skipped no i think uh, i think i just i uh, just said to you the other day that uh, i mean i think we've just had the most amazing journey um in africa with the breweries and um it's just been yeah you know, such incredible business to build on the back of the beverage and brewery companies in Africa mm. and also on the continent that really has just allowed us to just have in such an exciting journey um in the eighteen years that we've had this business and um yeah i mean uh we've had loads of fun uh, loads of challenges, but you know it hasn't been difficult to to go to work every single day and I think it's just just be been because of what this continent has to offer us and uh yeah we're looking forward to the next sort of the next phase um and i can imagine it's going to still involve the breweries and beverage companies up there but we you know looking at a, a lot more other customers and uh um yeah if anyone's in durban you're welcome to pop into our office um and uh visit us and check our website out big our branding and um yeah um, thank you Matthew that was uh, very interesting and uh, 
Yeah, I look forward to hearing some more stories, eh? <laughs> With pleasure. No, thanks thanks for the time and um yeah, it's just great to just share a bit of our story. Um what I what what I'm always surprised about is that we've kind of worked I mean we went to the same varsity and worked in the same town, but uh, yet I've never heard of you and you worked you know in the same kind of industry and I must say, I wish I had met you guys uh, 18 years ago. Yeah. No, well, you know, the thing is, is that we were never, you know, if you look at, if you speak to people in South Africa, not many people know about Big Hub Branding in South Africa, because we've never really, we never really focused on South Africa. Mm. Our focus was outside South Africa. Um, but if you speak to any of the marketing guys, especially the beer guys in Africa, they'll all know about us. Mm. And they'll know about us, you know, well. It's because that essentially was where we spent all our time. Mm. That was where we wanted to be and we wanted to be successful. And we almost left South Africa alone. We have got a, a small um, business part of our, so there's our other brand is called Promo Basket and we have got a, a business in South Africa um, that is, you know, it's got an online offering also, um, promobasket.co.za. And, uh, you know, it's essentially just, you know, so often we get asked, you know, you you guys, the guys that supply all the venting equipment and all the clothing and all that to the breweries all over Africa, you know, can I you know, have some golf shirts or <clears throat> can I have gazebos or whatever? So, you know, that that company services the South African market, but it hasn't been a big focus of ours. But the reality, it, it also has a lot of potential. I mean, essentially, we can compete against anyone mm. uh, in South Africa in our line because of the volume we do into Africa. So, you know, certainly... Um, you know, also if anyone's interested, um, you know, check out promobasket.co.za. Um, and yeah, um, we should be able to, you know, support anyone or service anyone who needs any marketing requirements in South Africa too. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. That was Matthew Fitzsimons from Big Eye Branding in Durban. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Drinks World.